Well, I want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to the church at Woodbine. My name is Doug Jones, and I'm the campus and teaching pastor here, and it is a joy seeing all of you here this morning. Before we dive into this scripture passage in today's sermon, I've got a couple of what I call pastor privilege announcements, so I love getting to do that. The first one is I just want to say, and I don't even know if he's in here, but Chris Reed, your sermon last week, whoo, man, it was awesome. So thank you so much. And I'm very grateful for Holy Spirit, just how he used you last week. Also, too, I want to reiterate what Andre said at the beginning. Next Sunday, we have a new focus study starting. It's on the parables of Jesus at 930 here in our educational building. Brett Bosch will be teaching it. So please come if you want to. If you're not in a small group or if you just want to grow and learn more about the parables of Jesus, we invite you to come as well. And we have also uh, classes for littles and for middle school and high school and young adults. So feel free to join us next Sunday at 930. Also, I want to draw your attention to the two walls we have. Back here, you'll see a new little thing called DXD Groups. Uh, one of the things that we so desire is that everybody be in a group and everybody be on mission. And DXD is Disciples Multiplying Disciples. It's our off-campus groups. There's a lot of information back there. There's a map of Nashville. We have a group that meets all the way up in Madison and a group that meets all the way down south of Nolansville. For whatever reason, God has us scattered throughout Middle Tennessee, and we love to join groups. We even have a Spanish home group, which is awesome. So if you want more information, you can talk with Chris Reed about it, or you can take one of the flyers there. It has a lot more information about what days, what times, who are leading those groups. And so feel free to take that. On this side of the wall, we have what we call our missions wall. And I think it is now complete with all of our missionary family units on the field. There are 11 family units on the field. There's some prayer requests, information about who they are, where some of them are. We can't reveal where some of those missionary units are going uh, because they're in closed countries and very dangerous places. But Holy Spirit knows. So when we pray for them, when we lift them up, He knows exactly what they need. And we are asking all of us to join our missionary families who are on the field, our global workers, and pray for them, support them, encourage them. Uh, We have another young man who is leaving very soon, and we'll be commissioning him today at the end of our service. So we are very grateful for the privilege that God has given us to spread the gospel to the four corners of the globe, making disciples who make disciples. Clear as mud? All right, you all are dismissed. Have a great week. Now, I'm teasing. Right here. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. If you've closed your Bibles or turned off your cell phone, I want to ask that you go back to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. I love these two verses, not only for what all it says, but the church in Mexico where I pastored, our church was called La Iglesia del Gran Pastor, the Church of the Great Shepherd. And right here at the very beginning of verse 20, it says this, Now may the God of peace, Now may the God of peace. We're in the God is series. We started way back two months ago. God is good. God is love. God is trustworthy. God is self-sacrificing. God is redeemer. God, and we have, and this is today's the last one. God is peace. Now I have a question for you. Do you live with the peace of Jesus, the peace of God, 24-7? When Terrell was praying and he shared, do you pray as much as you worry? How much do you worry? What do you worry about? And I've got a quick list here. 
I worry, and I'll just be honest, I worry sometimes about my marriage, about my kids, about work, about my finances, about travel, about my future, sometimes about my past, sometimes about my weight. I worry about all kinds of things. My yard, getting the yard work done. Yesterday, we have two kitties. They're juvenile cats, and we're teaching them to stay outside. We put them out yesterday, and they disappeared. I was worried all day long about our two cats. And last night, right before I went to bed, I went outside, here, kitty, 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 and they come sneaking back in. Praise the Lord. My wife and two boys are out of town this weekend, so it's just me and Margie. So I was more worried about the punishment I was going to get when everybody else got back. What do you worry about? Why is it so hard for us to not walk in the peace that Jesus offers? Several years ago, we just moved back from Mexico. We were here, and I was getting ready to start my job here as pastor here at Woodbine. And we decided to take a quick trip up to Ohio, to Cedar Point. Is that what it's called, Margie, where all the roller coasters are? And we got up there early in the morning, and my son Eric and I, who at the time I think was eight years old, we got on the roller coaster called the Millennial Force. Supposedly, it was the biggest, tallest, fastest, longest roller coaster in the world. I think every theme park has one of those. And I remember the line wasn't that long. We sat down in it. You're kind of like, you know, you've got this canopy that you're under. And the last time I was on a roller coaster, it took about 10 minutes to get to the top. So we buckle in and all of a sudden, and it took maybe 10 seconds to get to the very top. I didn't have enough time to get worried. But as we were going to the top, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And Eric is loving it. The girls behind us were cussing and other people were, and I'm like, oh, I was nervous. Where was the peace of Jesus during that? And even before we got to the top, the thing kind of slung us over and we flew down and my seat came off the seat. And we did it like 10 more times that day. What do you worry about? And what is Jesus? What is God calling us? He is the God of peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And may he truly reign in our hearts. You know, there's lots of definitions about peace. And for a lot of us as Americans, and especially in the English language, the word peace usually conjures up a passive picture, one showing an absence of like civil unrest or hostilities, or a person who is free from any type of internal or external strife or fear or worry. That's what a lot of us think about when we think of the word peace. But is that biblical peace? You see, the word peace in the Old Testament is shalom. And you could go online and you could find tons of definitions. What does shalom mean? That's the word for peace. What does it mean? And here's one definition. It'll be on the board. Shalom has a very dynamic meaning. It means to be complete or whole, to be sound, and to live well and to be healthy in mind, body, and spirit. Shalom can be put into four categories. The first one is wholeness of life or body. That's health. The second one is being in right relationship or harmony between two parties or two groups of people. And usually it's portrayed with a covenant. The third aspect of shalom is prosperity, success, and fulfillment. And the fourth one is victory over one's enemies or absence of war. 
So the term peace in the scriptures in the Old Testament, and we could go on and on talking about shalom. And this isn't prosperity gospel, even though some prosperity gospel preachers will take us and pull this in, that God always wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That is not the gospel. And that is not Jesus' peace that he so is and so offers. But shalom is a complete wholeness. It's a totality, and it all circles around Jesus. And it's his person, it's his presence filling us and surrounding us and making us whole in every way. It's not necessarily the absence of conflict or strife. Now here in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, may the God of peace. And then he goes on to explain here in this huge benediction of Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. But before we look at that, the God of peace, who is he? We're going to turn to another story. It's in Mark chapter 4, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles, or you can look up on your cell phone, but let's stand back up. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. It's a story that many of you guys know, and we're going to read it. But here we have in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, this is what God's word says for his people. It says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Now that he is Jesus, and he's with his 12 apostles. So that evening, when it come, when evening comes, Jesus says, let's cross over to the other side of the seat. So they left and the crowd, <clears throat> they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He, Jesus, was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. You may sit down. I know that a lot of us, especially if we grew up in church, we know this story. This is a great children's story, youth story. There's all types of applications, and I'm sure many of you have looked at this passage numerous times. But real quickly, the context, Jesus has already started his ministry. This is at the beginning of his ministry, but he's already been teaching and preaching and traveling and healing. He's already chosen his 12 apostles. And as you see here, there was more than just one boat. Jesus get, just got finished preaching to the multitudes. And you can read back here in the first couple of chapters of Mark, all that Jesus was doing. Jesus was the it rabbi there around the Sea of Galilee. And because he was preaching and teaching with authority and power, and because he was healing and casting out demons and setting people free, the multitudes were flocking to Jesus. And I'm highlighting this because the apostles who were with him, they had seen Jesus do mighty works already. More than they could possibly think or imagine. So they've experienced the power of Jesus, the power of Holy Spirit in Jesus. They see it, they know it, they experience it. And that evening after Jesus preached all day long and taught all day long, it's his idea, and that's a key. It's Jesus' idea. Hey, let's get in the boat and cross to the other side. 
Don't forget that. It's Jesus' idea to get into the boat. Now, Jesus being God in the flesh, he knows all things. What does he know that is getting ready to happen? A storm is coming. Now, he knows it. And yet it's his idea to put them in the boat and let's go. Think about it. Now the, now, the apostles, some of these apostles, as you know, Peter, John, James, and Andrew, they were professional fishermen. Their entire life, they grew up around the Sea of Galilee. They had probably been in storms before, and I would imagine, if I was a betting man, that they probably knew of people who had died in storms on the Sea of Galilee. You see, the Sea of Galilee is a big lake, but it's not real deep. And so when the wind and when storms come up, the waves get huge. Three months ago, we went to Alaska to one of my nephew's weddings. The first day we got out into the country, we flew into Anchorage, stayed there for a couple of days, and then we drove like five hours north. We were in the sticks. There were more bears and moose than people. We get to our little Airbnb, And Eric and Marge are like, Daddy, we want to get on the lake. And there was a big 20-acre lake right there. So they got in the canoe. The wind was blowing real hard. And they're wanting to cross the lake to where their cousins were. 30 minutes later, I couldn't find them on the lake. So I get in a little kayak. And I'm getting out there. And the wind is blowing so hard. And the waves are big. And I thought, Lord Jesus, have I just lost my two little ones? And the wind pushes me all the way down the lake, and I can finally hear Eric and Margie singing. And they had gotten to the other side, but they were about a quarter of a mile down from where they were trying to get. And I was like, whew. And I must confess to you, I didn't have a whole lot of Jesus peace when I was in that little kayak. But it made me think, my goodness, what was it like on the Sea of Galilee? So they're crossing, and it's nighttime, and the storm comes down. And the waves are, I mean, it's drenching, it's drowning the, la- the boat. Where's Jesus? He's asleep. I wonder if Jesus was, was playing possum, was faking it. I wonder if he was like, oh, here they come. I mean, he was sleeping. He was exhausted. But Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He knew exactly what was going on. And here we have these apostles in this boat, and they know they're going to die. And I can imagine Peter and Andrew and James and John, because they're the four fishermen. As it's rocking, as the waves are coming, could you imagine their thought when they see the storm coming right before it hits? And then that storm hits, and they're trying to save themselves. And they know that their rabbi is powerful. And they realize he's sleeping. And what do they say here? I, this, uh, to me, it, I mean, I probably would have, I know I'd have done the same thing. Jesus is sleeping here in verse 38. He's sleeping. He's down in the stern because these boats are pretty big, 20-something feet, 25 feet. And they say, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Have you ever been so scared that you thought you were going to die? Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you were going to die? He got up. He rebuked the wind and the sea. And they're being real nice here. Silence, be still. Basically, Jesus stood up. It was like, shut up! Not to his apostles. 
but to the wind and the waves. Can you imagine? The wind is blowing, the, the, the waves are rocking. They're going down. And Jesus gets up and he's like, be still, silence. Shh. Try to live that in your mind if you were one of those apostles or in one of those other boats that was crossing over. Can you imagine the radical change? When Jesus tells creation to shut up, to be still. And what happens? Well, we know the story. Everything. It says there was a great calm. Then he turns to his apostles and he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He rebukes them. Think about it here. Think of it in Jesus' perspective, or maybe if we're one of the apostles, if we're honest, there with the creator of the universe who's now, who has now become flesh. He holds the entire universe in his hands. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every thought in our mind and our heart. He knows our past. He knows our future. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is everything. And here he is with them in the boat. He spoke and all creation was created. Just by saying, let there be light and boom, the entire universe. And how easy it would be for him just to say, silence, be still. And if these apostles had that perspective, would they fear? Would they have the peace of God? Would they still be in a storm? Yes. Remember, it was Jesus' idea to get in the boat. He knew exactly what was coming. And he asked, you still don't have faith? How do they respond? Verse 41, it says, and they were terrified. And they asked one another, who then is this? That even the winds and the waves, they obey him. Who is this? And Matthew chapter 8, it's the same story in Matthew 8. Matthew 8, I love how this says. It says, and the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Well, he's the one who can walk on water, change water to wine, be crucified on a cross, be buried and rise from the dead. He's the one that can open eyes of the blind, ears of the deaf, Touch the mouths of the mute. He casts out demons. He sets the captives free. He's the lion. He's the lamb. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first. He's the last. He is savior. He is friend. Daniel, I hope you're doing good up there. Is that Vladimir up there translating? That is who this man is. He is redeemer. redeemer. He's savior. He's friend. He is our He is not just a simple carpenter. He is the king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That is who this man is and so much more. There's an old preacher from Second Baptist Church of San Diego. His name is Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. 
and they have, he passed away several years ago, and they have popularized one of his sermons. The title of the sermon is Amen, and it's about an hour long. There's about a six-minute clip, and you can find it on YouTube. Find the extended version where he goes off on who is Jesus as my king. It is an amazing sermon. The whole sermon is fabulous. But Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Prince of peace. You know, all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, Paul talks a lot about it. In many of his benedictions, he talks about, may the God of peace be with you. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. And Paul says, what you've heard and received from me, do put into practice and the God of peace will walk with you. It is the God of peace. He's the one who sanctifies us, our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit. He he sanctifies us completely. Here in Hebrews chapter 13, where it says, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead, our Lord Jesus. So the God of peace, our father, he's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is that great shepherd of the sheep. He is the good shepherd and he knows his sheep by name and his sheep will hear his voice and follow him. Are you one of his sheep? Do you hear Jesus' voice? Do you follow him? It is through the blood of the everlasting covenant that Jesus shed on the cross. He is the one, the God of peace. He is the one who equips us with everything that is good to do his will. It is the God of peace who works in us what is pleasing in his sight. And it's through Jesus and it is all for his glory. You see, Jesus said right before he was crucified, right before he was betrayed, in the final hours and days of his life here on this earth, he said in John chapter 14, 27, he says, my peace I give you, I leave you with my peace and my peace I give you and I do not give it as the world gives. You see, the type of peace that Jesus gives, it's that shalom peace. It's the peace that gives complete wholeness and totality of us. But it doesn't mean that there's gonna be no problems, no tribulation, no division, no suffering. Because Jesus himself says, he says, don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Jesus says in John 16, when he's talking about Holy Spirit and the fact that he's going to give us another counselor, he says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace and you'll have suffering in this world, but be, cur- be encouraged or be courageous. I have conquered the world. You see, for us North Americans and in the English language, when we think of peace, we think of it as an absence of strife or conflict or difficulties. But that is not the peace that Jesus gives. Jesus, it says in Psalm 23, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of what? Death. He will accompany us. It was Jesus' idea to cross the lake. And Jesus has already foretold here on this, in this life, on this earth, we will have tribulation. We will have trials. We will have temptations. It will happen. But we can still walk within the peace that Jesus so offers because that peace is Jesus himself. I asked at the beginning, what causes you to worry? 
And I was kind of doing it tongue-in-cheek, me with our kitty cats, with the roller coaster. But in all honesty, if you're like me, I worry about almost everything. And I struggle trusting in Jesus and his promises. And a lot of it's because I feel out of control. And if there's one thing that COVID has taught us, and it's taught us a lot, we are not in control. And we will face temptations and trials and tribulations. And the harder and tighter we try to control our own lives, the more fearful and anxious we'll become. There's three things I want to leave with you. And the first one is this. Well, actually, I want to read something. Biblical peace. Biblical peace is more than just the absence of conflict. It is taking action to restore a broken situation. And that starts and ends with what God the Father has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's more than a state of inner tranquility. It's a state of wholeness and completeness that is only found in Jesus Christ. Biblical peace is not something we can create on our own. It is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Biblical peace is given, experienced, and lived out in the person and presence of Jesus. I want to invite everybody to stand because I feel like there are three responses we have. The first one is this. It's trust. Isaiah 26.3. It's a simple verse. I learned it in NIV, but I'm going to read it to you here in the CSV. Isaiah declares, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. The mind that is dependent upon you, that's trusting in you, God will keep us in perfect peace if we allow our mind and our hearts to trust in him. The second one is this, it's prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it's a command. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. This is the most underlined verse in all of scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So our second response, our first response is to trust in Jesus as he takes us on that boat as we cross the sea of our lives. But it's truly trusting in him, our eyes fixed upon him, The second one is prayer. We're commanded not to be anxious, but to pray with all petitions and thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Because when we thank the Lord, it lines our hearts and minds up to him. It helps us us focus on him. The third thing is peace with God through Jesus. And you guys can have a seat. I'm just trying to keep everybody awake. Romans 5.1, and this is going to lead us into the Lord's Supper. 
In Romans 5, 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, if you believe in Jesus, you are righteous. You are holy. You are God's daughter and God's son, not because you're good or because you go to church or because you do good things or obedient. It's because of God's great grace in your life. And he declares you righteous. We have peace with God. So our life focus, our hearts and our minds, we've got to be centered on Jesus, our eyes fixed upon him. Trusting him. And when we trust in him, he will give us his perfect peace. We present all of our prayers and petitions. Everything we worry about, we lay at his feet. We surrender all control and say, Jesus, it's yours. I'm in this boat and there is nothing I can do. So I'm asking you to do it for me. Allowing him to guide, lead, touch, transform. Especially during tribulation, trials, and temptations. And then the last thing and the most important thing is to understand that he's done all the work because to have God's peace, it is to walk and abide in Christ every day.